Danny and thanks for tuning in to The Grown Up Hustle. This podcast is based on real people sharing all their different journeys as they navigate this crazy ride called adulting. From coffee o'clock to wine o'clock and all that happens in between, we're here to openly discuss how we're all just really hustling our way through life. So if you're ready for the highs, the lows and a whole lot of real talk, then stay tuned because we've got you covered. Hey guys, and welcome to the first ever episode of the Grown Up Hustle. I cannot believe we are finally live. It is crazy to think that after six long months, we are finally out there. So I am absolutely beyond excited to start sharing with you guys. So this first episode that you're going to be listening to today was actually recorded just before Christmas. But with it being dry January and so many people trying to cut down or to quit drinking, it is the perfect time and the perfect episode to start off the show. So today we're going to be talking about overcoming alcohol addiction. Alcohol is the most widely used drug in the UK and it's actually the only legal drug that people can use to both relax and have fun. So if alcohol were to be invented today and we were to use the same classification system as we do now for other drugs, then actually alcohol would rank somewhere between a class A and class B drug. So when you think about it, that's actually kind of crazy because we live in a society where drinking is not just accepted, but actually almost expected. And that makes the struggles of overcoming alcohol addiction even more difficult. I sat down and started looking at different stats when I started doing some research on this topic. And in England alone, it's estimated that there's almost 600,000 dependent drinkers, but actually only 18% of those are receiving any treatment. Um, Also, another stat was that there were almost 8,000 alcohol-specific deaths recorded in 2018, which was the second highest since the record began 20-odd years ago. Uh, Alcohol is a casual factor for over 60 different medical conditions too, which has obviously a huge impact on our healthcare system. Since lockdown in the UK was first implemented, Back in March 2020, people's alcohol consumption has gone through the roof and it's increased massively with people drinking earlier and drinking a lot more frequently. So therefore, they're actually drinking a lot more overall. So today I've got Dave on the show as a guest to talk to us about his journey to sobriety. Dave is a huge inspiration for many trying to overcome this addiction and through his path to sobriety, Dave has built a massive online community to help raise awareness and offer support to others on this journey. He's an advocate for sobriety awareness, mental health, a life coach, sober mentor and a speaker and today he's going to be sharing his story with us. So on that note, welcome to the show Dave, it's great to have you on today. Thanks for inviting me on this uh, today. It's, uh, I think it's probably best uh, for me to start from the beginning, really. Uh, and I think my, my drinking has always been a, a major part of my life. But in the early days, it was like most of us, it was uh, what we thought was social and part of growing up, you know, going to the pub with no ID. And, you know, back in the day, you're younger than me, so I don't know if you uh, ever had that, but... Only slightly. <laughs> I, yeah. But I, I could literally walk into a pub 
uh, and just get served at 15 years old, you know? And um, people sometimes say there's uh, a reason for being an alcoholic and it stems back to your childhood sometimes and uh, trauma or a traumatic experience. And, and I think it's important to differentiate between the two because trauma is a big thing in someone's life. Uh, and for me, uh, my mum left when I was 14 years old. And uh, then recently after that, my dad met someone else quite quickly and I felt very, very alone. And that's really when I started to drink. I got in with the wrong crowd. Uh, I had a tattoo done when I was 14. And then I think through my late teens, it was normal kind of drinking. It was going out with the lads and meeting girls and going clubbing and whatever. Uh, and then I think during my 20s, uh, I started to drink more. I became a um, bit of a heavy drinker, really. I was always the lad, the lad that uh, people would ask me to go out with, you know. God, Davy boy, go on, get him out. He's a laugh. And have you seen that lad drink and whatever, you know. Were you drinking every day or were you binge drinking? Uh, more binge drinking, you know. It, it wasn't at that age it wasn't something i'd ever think about drinking indoors it was a social thing you know but when i went out i went for it you know it wasn't really the days of pre-drinks back then it was just go to the pub and chuck as many beers down your neck as you could uh and fall over at the end of the night and you was a hero you know uh and then i met someone had a, a boy when uh, i was 30 years old and unfortunately that didn't last too long uh, in the relationship, uh, albeit we, we remained good friends, me and his mum, and um, still to this day we are. You know, we brought him up the same, and now George is 27. Um, but just after that, uh, whether it's the breakup or my life circumstances, I started to drink really heavily then, so I was in my early 30s, uh, and that's, the beginning of what I would say was when it became problem drinking. Uh, I was a regular at the pub. My nickname was Glugs because of the speed I would drink. But for me, it, it, it was more the need to get drunk. I, I wasn't enjoying it as much as this drink as much as I can because I want to be in that place where I'm drunk, you know. Is it to stop you feeling maybe or, or dealing with with the emotions that were going on because of your breakup i didn't i didn't really know at the time i was in and out of relationships all the time you know i, I was a bit of a lad i will say you know uh and i carried on like that for a few years uh and at the age of 40 i moved area and uh the pub wasn't within driving distance, you know, and I would never drink and drive. Uh, so I started to drink indoors. And that's when the real problems happened because I become a bit of a recluse. And uh, I started drinking a lot of wine because the beers bloated me out and that. So I, I might have like four beers as a starter on my menu and then get stuck into the wine. And then I start to put on a lot of weight uh and then so i actually googled 
Um, what alcoholic drinks has the least calories? And up come vodka. And that was really where it went downhill because I got to a stage that I was drinking a litre a night of vodka. Plus at the weekends, uh, I started with beers lunchtime, then had a bottle of wine and then a litre of vodka. So it, it was terrible. Was, was the alcohol having less effect on you? So that's why you were drinking more and more? Yeah, your resilience to it changes, you know. You need more and more. The more you drink, the more you need, you know. Uh, and I was starting earlier in the day as well. You know, when normally I, I wouldn't even think about drinking till the evening. It, it got earlier and earlier. And, you know, I would get up on a Sunday absolutely feeling terrible. But by 11, half 11, I thought, well, the football's on soon. The pub normally opens at 12. I might just have a beer. And uh, once I have one, and I quite often talk about this on my Instagram, about the off switch, I, it had broken years ago. That one was like a flag to say, right, Dave, that's it for the rest of the day. You're not going to come out of this. You know, you, you're going to drink until you, like, pass out. And how did that affect you with your work, your relationships, your relationships with your family and your son? I mean, people must have got quite concerned or, or quite frustrated at times because obviously dealing with someone who who is drunk isn't the easiest thing to deal with anyway let alone regularly yeah well I lived on my own you see so I, I hid it so well that in fact when I gave up drinking so many people said I didn't even know you had a problem I mean I didn't with George I didn't touch on it so much I mean I remember one night he'd come over, he was, you know, old enough to drive then. And uh, he was sitting there, we were watching a film. He was one sofa, I was the other. And I, I got a, a big glass of vodka and tonic making out his water. You know, he wasn't silly. And by the end of the film, I was sozzled. And I was like, ah, it's lovely, lovely seeing you, son, and whatever. And these are the moments that I regret now, you know, and... Uh, the the how I find things now is that you can repair certain situations, you know, and uh, I I have talked to him in depth about it, and I've apologised to him, but he's so loyal to me. He just gives me a big hug, and he says, "Look, Dad, don't worry about it. You're sober now, and I'm really proud of you." You know, uh, and uh, yeah, it's things like that. That there are a million trophies that I've got now that we can talk about later about being sober. But you know, during the times they're so dark, and you think. You're coping with life, you're functioning. And as you say about my job, I'll get up and go to work. But I probably stank of booze, looked like hell. And, you know, I wasn't performing properly by a long shot. But all I had to keep me going was the fact that I could have a drink that night, you know. And it went round and round and round like a hamster wheel. And I, I, I did a post on Instagram a few weeks ago now about Groundhog Day because it is for a lot of people, you know. Waking up, oh, I'm not drinking tonight. I regret what if I, they check their phones, see what's on their phones and their partner's not talking to them. By lunchtime, you're already talking yourself into maybe having just one that night. By three o'clock, well, a couple of beer, right? But I take it easy. By five, you're in the offie buying enough to get you drunk again you know and it just goes round and round and it's expensive as well drinking every day you realize how much money you actually waste on drinking daily once you stopped i'm sure 
Well, it's funny enough at the time, you, you don't even think about that. It's like a necessity to you. It, it's, it never came into it, money. I, it was afterwards I realised how much I was spending. It was hundreds of pounds a month. I mean, the problem is as well with alcohol and it being so normalised, drinking being so normalised and there's, you know, there's always offers on on wine, for instance, you know, you buy three bottles of wine for £10 or, or whatever it is. And it kind of, when you are going in and trying to trying to pick a drink, you, you kind of do get sidetracked into buying more than you need because there's a deal on. And so so I think it's quite easy to get carried away when you're going in to, to purchase whatever it is that you want to drink. And that's almost wrong it's, it's everywhere it's, you know you go to buy a christmas card now and they're all all around drinking you know and it, it's crazy really because it is uh, a poison you know it's got ethanol in it it's ethanol's in petrol you know it's and it destroys lives i've been doing a lot of uh, posts lately about um how it affects children you know, uh, and the relationship they have with their parents when they've had a few too many drinks and that. And the trouble is when you're in that own, your own world of alcohol, you, you're very blinkered in how you feel, you know. You, you're sort of like, you know you're doing wrong, but equally, because it's an addictive drug, there's an element you can't help doing it as well. So it's a, it's a horrible place to be in. Maybe it's time to lead on to... Um, when I met my now wife, you know, uh, that was a story because I was a handyman on 60 Minute Makeover. I don't know if you've seen that, but I, I was Dave the Carpet on there. Not Sober Dave, I was Dave the Carpet. And uh, that was a really, really heavily drinking episode in my life as well because everyone that afterwards, we were all over the country going to hotels and we were hitting the bar as soon as we arrived you know weren't even having a shower a few beers go up and have a shower come down quite often in the bar till two three o'clock in the morning to get up again in the morning at six to start filming the next show you know and one day um i pulled into wandsworth in london and did this makeover and the lady come home uh and i nudged my mate and i said to him hello she's nice <laughs> And she's now my wife. There was a lot of drama before that because we got chatting on Twitter, funny enough. Who says social media doesn't work, you know? The show came out and sent her a message in that and I was probably drunk when I sent it. And after a while, we decided to meet for a drink. Uh, and a day before was Christmas Jumper Day in 2014. And I sent her a message asking her to send me a photo of her Christmas jumper and I didn't hear all day. And I didn't realise she was at the hospital and uh, she had been diagnosed with cancer for the second time. And uh, she told me this in the evening and uh, she said, look, Dave, you just walk away. You know, this is my problem. Bearing in mind, we hadn't even had the date. And uh, I said, look, just come over tomorrow. Let's meet, have a coffee or whatever. And let's just talk about it. And uh, she came over and even now to this day, she can't believe she came to this stranger's house, but it was just a, a, a real pull, you know? And I gave her a hug and that, and we spent the whole day together. Um, and then when she left, I said, let's just get on with it. And, and one of the first dates was in the chemo ward in Parkside in Wimbledon, you know? And that's how we got to know each other. But there was one, one, time I met her there I had to get the bus there 
because I was still drunk from the night before. And I walked in and there's Em with a cold cap on her head, wired up to the chemo machine, trying to save her life. And there's me walking in, hungover, slowly killing myself. And I sat there and I thought, this is ridiculous, you know, what, what, what am I doing, you know? But moving on from that, we got together quite quickly and I sold my house. And when I moved in, I hadn't really told her the extent of my problem. She's got triplets, right? And they were young, they were like five. And then I had an 11 year old boy, has. And for the first month I was climbing the walls because I obviously had a, a, a heavily, heavy drinking dependency, you know? I was irritable, I was like grumping. She thought, oh, is he, does he feel like he's made a mistake? I was actually gagging for a drink. Slowly I introduced it in. And within a few months I was drinking like I was back at the house. And then the problem started because she's brought a man into the house that is now heavily drinking, falling out with her, the kids were getting on my nerves. And it, it was a real, real problem. And that went on for two or three years where quite often I was sleeping on the sofa and um, blacking out or falling over. And, you know, it. I'm surprised we're still together now, really, because it, she would have had every reason to just boo me out really. But I mean, do you think that because obviously you had stood by her from the get-go through the, the journey with cancer, that she was maybe aware that you were on your own struggle and, and that's why she stood by you, possibly? Yeah, possibly. I mean, if anyone knows Em listening to this, she is the most incredible person. She's just so giving and, and loyal. And, and she always said to me, there's so much more to you than this there's so many more layers to you, you know, and, you know, when I see you drunk, it, it breaks my heart, you know, because this is not the man you are, you know, and um, it got to a point, uh, I had a real rock bottom that I ended up in Eastbourne on my own, and I slept rough for four days, and I, I do not know how I didn't die, because I was, all day I went to the pub, and then at night I slept on the beach with a bottle of vodka and then I did that for four days. Previous to that, the doctor had upped my antidepressants uh, double without even asking him whether I drank alcohol. He didn't even ask me, he just doubled them in. I was in there a minute and the, I said, look, these antidepressants aren't working. All right, we're, we're try doubling your dose. And he did. And that sent me around the twist as well. And when I came back, I realised then that something needed to change. And that, and that was probably six months before I decided enough was enough, you know. So I still, ha even after that, I had to go through a process with myself and in my relationship to actually get to the point where I, I had two roads to go down. And one, I, would have, I don't know if I'd be here now, to be honest. I did see, obviously, I know that you have been sober for, well, more than 700 days now, but going back about a week ago, it was 700 days. So that's not far off two years. What was the turning point for you that made you say, right, today is the day, enough is enough, I'm, I'm not drinking anymore? 
Um, I had a heavy Christmas and uh, New Year, you know, again, my old tricks of blacking out and falling asleep on the sofa and that. And uh, it was a Monday morning and I had a hangover and I received a text from a very good friend of mine. Uh, he's very spiritual uh, and it's how he worded this text was, Hi Dave, um, how would you like to join me in giving up alcohol for three months um, to see where you are in your life, your health and your marriage? And that was as simple as that. And it was how he worded it that made the difference. It wasn't, I think you need to, you know. At first, I laughed. I was like, I can't even get up three days, what you're talking about. But gradually, it trickled in throughout the day. And that evening, I sent him a text and I said, uh, are, you, are you in? He said, yeah, pop along. And as soon as I saw him, he's a great big man. I just looked at him. I said, just do it. And that was as simple as that. Uh, I, I just knew. It was a sign from wherever. I just knew that that was the pivotal moment that could change my life and I just stopped I don't know how and I don't know how I didn't withdraw because of the amount of alcohol I was consuming but I stopped and I created Sober Dave on Instagram and started to meet people and met some great lads Sean and Lee from Rock Sober and met them and they've been sober for five years and they were kind of the guys I looked up to you know and then gradually I built my community and, and that was such a big part of my recovery because when, when you're recovering from an addiction, to give back is a big part of it for me, you know, and that's what kind of led me on to where I am now. It's, uh, it just spurs you on when you can see all the people that you're helping and hopefully helping. Uh, it just gives you that feeling of the community thing, you know, and, your social media platform that you use predominantly is Instagram. And I do, you know, obviously I see a lot of people commenting and you're really good with engaging. You always reply and people do reach out to you. I saw a post the other day of someone saying to you, do you not get exhausted saying the same sort of things about positivity? And, and you were like, absolutely not, because that for me is hopefully helping other people. And, and you really are there as a support network for people remotely to reach out, but also what you put on there is inspirational. They can see that you have been through this process. You are still really going through this process because with any addiction, it is unfortunately a lifelong battle, I think. And, uh, you know, actually you shared something this morning from um, James from Wilson Green saying, you know, that uh, something along the lines of you, you fight your demons daily or whatever it is for every day that you, you know, you wake up you've overcome the battle again type thing. And, and I just think that, that what you've done by putting yourself out there and being very open and very candid about your journey is inspirational, but is a huge help for people too. Yeah. And, and you know what? It's, I feel like I've got a responsibility as well because people do turn to me. And uh, I mean, I sent someone a message a few weeks ago uh, and he's an advocate for mental health. And he never replied. And I thought, well, he may be busy or whatever, but it sort of highlighted to me the importance of just taking two or three minutes each time to, to read their message and reply, because that person is in a particular place in their life. And to reach out to me, I, I honestly make sure 
bother. Every single DM I reply to because it's so important. Otherwise, there's no point in me having that forum out there, you know. Well, well let me just say, when I met the Rock Sober Boys, it, it, it was um, at an event in Dalston, and I was absolutely bricking it. I, I You know... I got on the train and I thought I'd, I'd have had a few beers by now and I'm going to this place and, and it was a dodgy part. I thought, oh God, I've got to walk in there and it looks really intimidating. And I'm a big lump, six foot with toes. And I actually went in and this room was packed. There was Claire Pooley who wrote the Sober Diaries, Janie Lee Grace, uh, who runs a sober club. She's an ex-Wham backing girl as well. And she's a Radio 2 DJ. We're good friends now. And the boys were called onto the stage and they saw me walk in and they just said, Janie, just one sec. And they walked all the way over to me and they both gave me a big hug. And they said to me, good for you, mate. Thanks for coming. And they didn't have to do that. They were just going to walk on and do an interview on the stage in front of all these people. And I always remember that. So when people say to me, oh, Dave, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I really, I'm in trouble or, or I'm, I'm two days sober and I don't know what to do. I remember things like that and how vulnerable I felt. And it's so important to acknowledge people because we're all on different stages of our journey, you know. I mean, drinking is very normalised, I think, within our culture. And I don't necessarily think that that's a good thing. And I, I said that to you, obviously, when we were talking before the interview. And it becomes very... Oh, well, you know, you, if you're going to go out and socialise, for instance, uh, do you want to go to the pub? We'll have a drink. Do you want to pop over for a drink? Everything is, we'll have a drink. And a friend of mine actually said recently that she, she, she's never really had a battle with alcohol, but she just said, it doesn't make me feel very nice when I do have a few drinks. So she said, I think I'm going to cut it out of my life. And actually then seeing the negative response that she was getting off people. And she wasn't particularly, you know, that good time party girl that went out and got drunk regularly, but people just could not understand that she was saying, no, I'll have a Coke, I don't want a glass of wine. And, And it became like a problem to people that she didn't want the glass of wine because it was just so unnormal, you know, I use air quotes, but so unnormal because drinking has been so normalized in our culture. And that must be quite difficult to try and explain to people, particularly people who were used to you being a drinker, to say, actually, no, I'm, I'm not having a beer. I'm not going to be, you know, party Dave anymore. I, I'm, I'm done. I look at it two ways. Is quite often it is their stuff, the people that react like that. Um, but to be honest, you don't have to come out full guns blazing at times. You know, you can come out and say, do you know what? I've been feeling a bit rough lately. I'm going to have a few days off. And then once you've done that, you can say, do you know, I'm actually beginning to enjoy not having alcohol. So I'm going to go for a few more days. And then you can do it that way because then it's a slow and people get used to it more. If you, if you go, um, do you know what? I'm done with alcohol. That's it. It's like, oh, it's more of a shock value there, you know, and that's when people react. Or, or you, could, you could say, you just, uh, you could say um, oh, I feel like I've put on a bit of weight lately, so I'm on a bit of a health kick, so I'm going to watch what I eat, and then I'm going to just cut out drinking in the week. Or, you know, there are so many ways around it that you can soften the blow. And what you do, you find out as well who your real friends are, because I lost loads, I really did. And, I, you know, I'd probably bump into them, they'd say, oh, right, Dave, how's it going, mate? But the real people in my life have been the people behind me and they supported me. I mean, I was talking to a guy the other night, right? And, and he, he was only young in his 20s and he went to a house party and his friend had bought him some 
zero alcohol beers, uh, knowing that he's trying this thing. And I thought that was really lovely of his friend to do that. He, he could have put him under pressure and said, ah, oh, shut up, mate, what are you talking about? Have a beer or, or whatever. But he actually did that for him. And that that's a whole other conversation about alcohol-free drinks. But I, I just thought that was supportive, you know, because he was mindful of how he would be when he turned up. What is your opinion, actually, on alcohol-free drinks? Alcohol-free wine, alcohol-free beer. Do you think that they serve a purpose and hold their place? Yeah, I mean, uh, if uh, people are listening to that and they go down the AA route, uh, it's that's literally like a red flag. It's don't go near them. For me, uh, if they don't trick you in any way, uh, I find them okay. And... Uh, they can reduce anxiety when you go out. Like, so a lot of people don't want to sit there with a, a child's drink, as they say, like a bloody squash or, or a, a lime and soda for the rest of their life. But I, I know alcohol-free drinks have actually helped people to give up drinking because they've given a slight placebo effect. And I, I must make it clear, though, that I always say if there's any any point that they give you the slightest of trigger that you want to drink again just stay well clear of them because that will lead you down the wrong road you know but for me i i can drink them and i've never had a problem and in fact if i have more than two i think oh i don't want any more bloated in that yeah i used to drink 15 pints and not think anything of it but you were having the numbing effect of the alcohol when you were drinking the 15 pints you just wanted that more. It wasn't the, the drink. It was what it did for you, wasn't it? So, it, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a sticky area, alcohol-free drinks. I've been hauled over the coals many a time. Well, when I uh, did my post about my 700 days, I, I had 700 days on an alcohol-free bottle. And I got a few messages saying where it's quite obvious you around the corner from drinking again. And I was like, what are you talking about? I, I'm not. I'm absolutely not. Uh, in fact, I don't look at my journey as recovery. I look at it as discovery. I, I put a twist on it because I don't want to be looked at as being ill for the rest of my life. I'm in recovery in, until I'm 85. I look at it that my whole life has opened up and I'm discovering so many things you know that bit behind me on that wall is all the certificates of all the courses that i've passed counseling life coaching i'm a uh, men, sober mentor mental health advocate you know i would have never done any of those if i was still drinking you know so for me it's discovery and it just opens it up it's more modern for me even though i'm getting on a bit you know it, it just feels a more a more healthy way of looking at it rather than hi i'm dave i'm an alcoholic uh, i haven't drank for 30 years or something so uh, when you decided to quit alcohol and quit drinking did you did you go to aa or anything like that or did you literally just do it on your own no i went to aa a friend of mine she uh, invited me along and she had been sober for five months so i went and when i first went there I found it incredibly empowering that all these people got together and we all had the same thing going on, albeit a different story. But after the third or fourth time, I it, I just felt a bit depressed when I came out there. It, it really didn't work for me. And I decided to, to stop going, actually. And uh, I 
got stuck into the community of of uh, the people on Instagram, you know, and there were some really inspirational people. And when I met the guys and Jamie Lee and Claire Pooley, William Porter from Alcohol Explained, he wrote that book, I realised there were other ways of doing it, you know. And it wasn't long after that that I held my own event in the same place. It was a few months down the line and it was packed out. And uh, I even had a woman flying from Germany that day and she flew back that day as well to Germany. And I realised what an incredible community it was. I do think that AA obviously does hold its place at a million percent and it's, you know, it helps and has helped people all over the world and it will continue to do so. But you have made a valid point that actually it's, not for everyone. So for the people who do think, right, I want to stop drinking, they decide to go to AA, it doesn't work for them. It's knowing that there are other options out there that are other paths that you can take. You don't then have to say, well, I'm not going to go to AA, so I've got to do this on my own or I'm going to relapse. It's about really getting to know what other options and resources are available for you. That's really well put, actually, because uh, I would hate for people to listen to this and say that at any point I'm criticising AA because I'm absolutely not. Because I, I've got a very good friend of mine who works a programme, does a 12-step programme and is still sober. And, and it, that suits that person's journey. But for me, it doesn't. And it's, you know, inside if it works for you or not. And if it doesn't, then there are so many options available now. You know, there's online courses. I do one-to-ones. There's some brilliant books out there now. Uh, as I said before, the, the communities on social media like Instagram, Facebook have lots of groups that you can join and people interact all the time on forums. And, you know, we all know what, what serves us, don't we, at the end of the day? My auntie is actually, um, she's an ex-alcoholic and ex-drug addict. She has been sober and clean for many years now. She does attend AA and NA meetings. And no matter where she is in the world, whenever she goes on holiday, she will find her local meetings to go to. And that is, you know, it's a huge support network for her. It a million percent works for her. But it is, it is that thing, you know, it's not one thing suits all, like exercising. You know, some people might like to get fit by running and other people might like to get fit by, I don't know, doing yoga or doing weights. It's, it's finding what works best for you, your body, your mental health, your well-being and, and finding your own path that you're able to then take. Yeah, and you know what? Some people find it difficult to share in a group as well. You know, some people would rather have a one-to-one some people would find a one-to-one intimidating and feel more comfortable in a group. So it's about finding your groove and finding out what works. And, and, and it could take some time for that. But once you're there, that could be your support for the future, you know, and you can grow from that. So obviously you haven't, you haven't drunk now for the past couple of years. Can you tell us how you've completely turned your life around and gone on your path of discovery. Obviously you've mentioned doing different courses and, and so on and so forth. I'm sure it's improved your marriage now that you've stopped drinking. So for you, do you want to tell us all of the pros and the positives from, from actually giving up drinking? Yeah. I mean, a big part of it is my mental health. I mean, uh, it was really bad. I mean, I quite often broke down and I, my wife would come into the bedroom and I'd be sitting on the toilet with my head in my hands going, I can't, 
you know, my life was a complete mess. I hated myself. I'd lost all my self-respect. I would look in the mirror and just hate what I was seeing because I'd put on so much weight. Uh, I was depressed. My health was shocking. I mean, my doctor was seriously worried. He said to me, look, here's a prescription. Take two of these now. My blood pressure was 184 over 120, which is heart attack material, you know. Uh, put me on Ramapil straight away. Uh, when I gave up drinking, uh, it was like a huge weight being lifted off my head. It was like divorcing an abusive partner that had bullied me for years, and and it, it was like they're gone now. You know, it was almost instant for me when I decided that was it. I started to exercise a little bit because I had lots of time on my hands. I started to cycle. Um, I eventually, within four months, I cycled from London to Paris with some guys and raised 35 grand for child slavery. Yeah, I did London to Brighton, London to Portsmouth, uh, held my own event. My marriage was fantastic. I lost weight and my self-respect started to trickle back in and my self-esteem grew. And I realised with the community that I was of value to society where before I just thought I was some old drunk you know that that's the sad thing about it you lose all your self-respect then I started to do some courses and yeah my community grew and I realized that was such a big part of my life you know and uh, now I'm a life coach specializing in alcohol and yeah I've got a few clients now and I absolutely love it I love my job so much now uh, helping people and seeing the results and seeing people change their lives to an extent where they're just living a complete different life and you know I suppose when that person who said to me oh you're just around the corner from having a drink they don't even know me they probably found me on Instagram and looked at that and judged me straight away there is no way ever that I would risk what I've got now by just going back to that I, I just I know in my heart, Pete could tell me blue in the face where, you know, you could start drinking again. You, you're one drink away. No, I'm not. My life is amazing now. And it's important to say there as well that there are parts of the journey that are tricky. You know, I haven't covered that really. So I don't want people listening to this thinking, oh my God, everything's perfect. Well, hey, good for you. Because it is tricky at times. I, I, I did an IGTV when I was on holiday in Cyprus and I really struggled for two days. There was a couple of guys swimming to the pool bar and it hit me. It was like, oh my God, I would love to do that. And it wasn't about the alcohol, it was just about the experience. But I, I looked at it and it was like, that is a fantasy. That's not the reality because I wouldn't just have a couple of beers. I, I, would, I would get drunk. And that's the reality of it. And then after a while, I come back to my senses. But, you know, 90% of the time now, my life is amazing. And when I look at the narrative of if I was still drinking, it, as I said to you before, I would be surprised if I was still here, which is shocking, really. When you were drinking, you would drink if you were happy, you would drink if you were sad, you would just drink. Now, most of the time, like you said, 90% of the time, life's great. But for that 10%, when things aren't going well, how do you then deal with probably that 
that demon that's in your head saying, oh, you know, I could really fancy a drink now. How do you overcome your harder times without turning to alcohol? Uh, I keep myself busy, but I think the main thing is to actually acknowledge what's going on, you know, because that's uh, if you don't, that's another uh, thing of denial, you know, like just acknowledge those feelings and think, okay, that's interesting. That's after two years now, and that's coming to my head. And as I said to you, it's acknowledging the reality of it is that um, I quite often use the analogy of being allergic to something because say, say you had uh, some seafood and you come up with a terrible rash and the doctor said to you, you know, unfortunately, you developed an allergy for seafood, you can't have it ever again. You wouldn't eat that again. So with alcohol, I look at it like if I had alcohol, that would I'd have a huge allergic reaction to that because my life would be out the window. And I wind it forward as well. And I think, how would I feel if I actually did that this time tomorrow? my whole community would be like, whoa, didn't see that coming. If eat and drink, I can. And that keeps me accountable as well. To say it's weird, it's not about the alcohol. It's about the experience, the feeling of it. How would that be to just like not worry about things? And But you grow, you adapt. The longer you go, the more you adapt to situations. And it's, it's like now I just, I do look at it and I go, why? Oh, that's... That's popped up out of the blue. The best thing for me to do is acknowledge it and grow from it. So next time I've already dealt with it, you know? No, I, I appreciate that because for anyone that does think, I've had a shit day, I'm going to have a drink. It doesn't actually resolve what's happened in your shit day. You're just numbing it and postponing it to deal with the following day. So actually by actually dealing with whatever's happened during that day is a much more healthy way of processing but unfortunately it's become like I said quite normalized and second nature for people to be like put a shit day plus wine and unfortunately then it it goes from the glass to the bottle to two and before you know it yeah and you know what lockdown has uh, played a big part in that as well I have a lot of people message me and they their drinking started earlier in the day because they're working from home their zoom meetings are over in the morning then I think, you know what, all I've got to do is a couple of emails and whatever, or I might have a little glass of wine. And uh, yeah, that's become a big problem. And uh, I think that will grow as well uh, if we continue into a further lockdown or whatever. And I think now's a good time to be mindful of that because if it goes on and then next year, gradually things start to get back to normal, there's going to be a lot of problems there. Yeah, definitely. You're into work and that, and now sitting at a desk thinking, Christ, I've been drinking at home for nine months now and I could kill a glass of wine and that, you know. So well, it's because it's become normalised more so to, to drink earlier in the day. Do you know what? In the beginning of it, um, my wife downloaded that thing, House Party. That lasted about 10 minutes, didn't it? And everyone was on it. All drinking in the afternoon. Like it was a holiday. You know, I suppose because I've worked in this field for two years now that I really, really see the dark side of what alcohol can do. I really don't find a lot of it funny anymore. I, I, I want to tell people how devastating the effects of alcohol can be, not just for that person, but for the relationships, for the children, and all around you is devastating, honestly. And it pecks away at you, and before you know it, you are hooked into it. And it's it makes me really, really sad. And I think that's why I put a few videos on my Instagram, just because I think visuals make people think, you know. And uh, I don't know if you saw that one that I put, put on with that little bird that was walking along the road. 
and it starts where it picks that little, there's a little uh, orange or yellow thing in the rain, it pecks in it. It's like that Red Bull thing, it gives you wings, but at the end of it, it goes for the journey of what drinking does to you. Oh, I didn't see this one, no. Oh my God, if, if anyone's listening to this, go onto my page and there's a, uh, it's of this little bird with a white background and it's called Nuggets. And it really epitomises what, what alcohol can do to you. It just epitomises what it is. It, it gets rid of all, all, the, all the lovely, oh, let's meet for wine. And, uh, and, and it's like when you're in a wine bar and you see everyone, their heads knocking back laughing and ha ha. I sort of think, I wonder how many of you actually have got a real problem with this. It's, it's not just the, the two glasses and meeting a friend. It's before that and after that. It, it just makes me really sad. And the government justifies it. It's the revenue that they get from it. It's like, it's, it just sickens me. It really does. Unfortunately, it's something that I don't think is ever going to be taken away from our world as we know it because too much tax is generated from it. But it then has a knock-on effect with everything else in life, you know, healthcare systems, so on and so forth. And mental health as well, which is already, like we just said, we're struggling as it is this year. And a lot of people next year going into 2021 are going to have major problems and they're going to be reaching out for help with not just you know alcohol abuse but also mental health because of the effects of this year it's just been absolutely horrendous domestic abuse how it's affected the kids you know it just goes on and on and on i could list 20 things from the effect of it you know and it's sad but on a positive note i think things are changing i think we're at the bottom of the hockey stick when it comes to uh, being alcohol free you think years ago when you'd say you was a vegan it was like what and now it's just completely normalized and i honestly think in a few years time if you say well i don't drink it would be normal most people i know don't smoke now and I think the more people that talk about it, the more people that attempt to either reduce their alcohol intake or give up altogether, the, the more normalised it would be. The more we talk about it on social media, I think it's, there, there's change ahead, I really do. And I'm so proud that I'm part of it as well. So for anyone looking to reach out to you, um, obviously you've got your Insta handle, which is Sober Dave, and people can can contact you on there. Um, is there anything else that you, you know, do you have any other emails or websites that you'd like to share on the podcast or that I can pop on the link uh, below on this episode so that people can reach out to you for help and advice? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got a link tree on my Instagram, so I've got all my links to my website on there. I've got loads of podcasts on there. I've got pieces I've done in the media. Uh, but I want to make it easy sometimes. I just say, look, reach out on a DM. I, as I said before, I always answer people. So it doesn't matter what it is. I'm confidential. It's strictly between us, you know. And uh, yeah, I'm easy to get a hold of. So just reach out and uh, just know that there is support out there. And if, if I feel like I can't be the one to help you, I've got lots of people that I can refer to, and, you know, and uh, there's always someone there to help. That's absolutely brilliant, Dave. Thank you so much again for coming on and sharing your story with us today. And once again, a huge congratulations on two years sober. Uh, thank you so much for asking me. I've really enjoyed it. 
big thanks everyone for tuning into the first episode of the Grown Up Hustle podcast. If you guys want more information on sober living, sobriety awareness, sober mentorship, or any of the other topics that we discussed today, then hop on to the Grown Up Hustle podcast on Instagram, where you'll find Dave tagged on the show's grid posts. Give us a follow whilst you're there to stay updated on up and coming shows. And don't forget to subscribe to the Grown Up Hustle podcast on whatever platform you're listening on to be first in line for next week's drop. I hope you all have a great week and I'll catch you all soon. 